I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 2, Episode 9, The October Crisis of 1970. In October of 1970, Canada faced its most serious domestic terrorist threat in the country's 103-year history. This came in the form of two high-profile kidnappings by the terrorist organization Front de Libération du Québec, or the FLQ. The response by then-Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau resulted in massive arrests, deportations, some success, and some tragic failure. The long-term consequences of Trudeau's handling of the crisis would spark serious criticism within Quebec and help boost the growing sovereignty movement within the province as a whole. Now before we continue, I just want to remind you, you can check us out on a number of different platforms. You can check us out on Facebook and on SoundCloud, all by searching Cool Canadian History. You can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And of course, you can always check out our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. Check out the website, listen to the podcast, and at the bottom of the website page, there's a little PayPal button that says Donation. PayPal makes it very easy for you to donate to this podcast, and all donations are extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this podcast on a bi-weekly basis. Okay, so we need some background here before we get going. You see, the 1960s was a radical decade for Quebec, which underwent a dramatic social, political, economic, and ideological transformation known as the Quiet Revolution. Now, at its core, the Quiet Revolution basically threw off the chains of traditionalism and embraced a forward-thinking and progressive mindset, essentially ushering Quebec into the modern age and then, frankly, surpassing the rest of Canada's provinces. Now, as a result of the Quiet Revolution, a growing percentage of the Quebec population now saw Quebec's future in terms of an autonomous country, separate from Canada, able to continue its dramatic and rapid growth and development. In many ways, this was part of a political manifest destiny for the Quebecois. Now, when Pierre Elliott Trudeau, leader of the Liberal Party, was elected Prime Minister in 1968, his primary political objective was to keep Quebec in confederation. Now, long before Trudeau had come to power, a violent Marxist Quebec separatist terror organization called the FLQ had been carrying out minor attacks against symbols of the federal government. The organization was officially formed in 1963 and began to carry out a series of bombings, robberies, and intimidation operations against various targets that represented sort of English institutions, institutions of the government, places and prominent people. Now, many of its members were actually trained by similar radical, violent terrorist organizations. Two of the founding members were, in fact, trained by the Palestinian Liberation Front in Jordan. One of the earliest, most prominent, high-profile attacks by the FLQ came on April 20th, 1963, 
when an FLQ bomb ripped through the Canadian Army Recruiting Centre in Montreal, instantly killing the 65-year-old night watchman on duty. Throughout 1964 and 1965, members of the FLQ carried out a series of brazen armed robberies of primarily English banks. In fact, one botched armed robbery of a weapons store resulted in the murder of two of the employees of that store. In 1965, a bombing of a shoe factory in La Grenade killed a 64-year-old female office worker. In February of 1969, an FLQ bomb was detonated in the Montreal Stock Exchange, causing massive destruction and seriously injuring 27 people. In May of that same year, two Fedkis, as FLQ members called themselves, hijacked a National Airlines Boeing 747 in New York and diverted it to Cuba. Now, it's important to understand that the FOQ were organized around a loose collection of clandestine cells, essentially very small operational groups, maybe two, three, four, five members. The cells would have labels such as the Dieppe cell, the Louis Riel cell, the Liberation cell, etc., etc. Now, after every wave of attack, each wave consisting of a series of operations conducted by a specific cell, a number of FLQ suspects would be arrested, and often that cell would be successfully shut down by the police and authorities. But in the aftermath of each wave of attack, other cells would either form or be activated. It truly became very difficult to make any headway against this system of independently operating FLQ cells. So this is the situation facing Trudeau in the late 1960s. Now, as a Quebecois himself, he had come to power determined to keep Quebec in Canada, while at the same time, a violent and seemingly unstoppable terrorist organization is gaining momentum in their war against the Canadian government, and certainly bringing high-profile attention to the separatist movement. While the attacks of the 1960s were certainly dramatic, the final clash between the FLQ and the Canadian government would come in October of 1970. This event has since been known as the October Crisis. Now, the October crisis began on the 5th of October, when two members of the FLQ Liberation Cell captured the British Trade Commissioner named James Cross. James Cross was essentially a high-ranking British diplomat living in Ottawa. As part of the demands for Cross's release, the FLQ demanded that their manifesto be played on CBC throughout the province. This was adhered to on the 8th of October, when the CBC read aloud the manifesto in both French and English, and I want to read you a bit of it. FLQ wants total independence for Quebecers, united in a free society and purged for good of the voracious sharks, the patronizing big bosses, and their henchmen who have made Quebec their private hunting ground. This is just one segment of a long sort of diatribe against the Quebec state, the Canadian state, and individuals within the state. In fact, the manifesto goes on to call out a number of Quebecois who were accused of betraying the separatist cause and betraying Quebec. It actually criticized big business, the Catholic Church, René Lévesque, who we had met earlier this season in episodes one and two, Robert Barassa, the then premier of Quebec, and even branded Pierre Trudeau a quote-unquote queer. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Two days after the manifesto was read, members of the Chenier cell kidnapped Quebec Minister of Labor Pierre Laporte while he played soccer with his child on the front lawn. On 13th of October, Trudeau then engaged in one of his most famous interviews of all time. Stopped on the steps on his way into an emergency meeting, he was asked how far he would go to stop the FLQ. Let's listen in. Even with your hindsight, I don't see how you can uh, can uh, deny that. No, I, I still go back to the choice that you, you have to make in the kind of society that you yeah, live in. Well, there's a lot of bleeding hearts around who just don't like to see people with helmets and guns. All I can say is uh, go on and bleed. But it's more important to keep law and order in this society than to uh, uh, be worried about uh, weak-kneed people who uh, don't like the looks of, uh, of a at, at any cost? At any cost? How far would you go with that? How far would you extend that? Well, just watch me. This just-watch-me comment would come to life on the 16th of October when Trudeau, at the request of both Quebec Premier Robert Bourassa and the Mayor of Montreal, Jean Drapeau, invoked the War Measures Act. This was the first time this act had ever been invoked during peacetime. Previously, it had been invoked during the First and Second World War. The War Measures Act gave the government huge sweeping powers to now conduct a counterterrorism operation. Essentially, this allowed Trudeau to declare martial law in the province of Quebec. Though it should be noted that the military was deployed to assist the civil power, i.e. police and the Quebec government, not to become a temporary military government. In most cases, the military guarded prominent buildings and residences, leaving the police to conduct raids and counterterrorism operations. Though certainly the image of tanks on lawns, and helicopters on government building steps certainly carried connotations of military rule. Frankly, with soldiers throughout Montreal and Quebec City, both places very much appeared like they were in a state of military occupation. Regardless, by 17th October, the Canadian military was occupying the streets of the province's two great cities and sweeping the countryside as it helped the police conduct counterterrorism operations against the FLQ and any suspected sympathizers. As many as 500 people were arbitrarily arrested, including artists, musicians, labor leaders, even future Quebec politicians, anyone that was suspected to harbor any sympathy or know people in the FLQ. Now that very same day, the Chenier cell announced that Pierre Laporte had been executed. He was strangled, stuffed in the trunk of a car, and left near the Saint-Hubert airport. His body was discovered later that night. Now it is interesting that this announcement of the execution came after Canadian military troops were sent into Quebec, though we don't know that the Chenier cell necessarily killed Laporte in reaction to Trudeau's invocation of the War Measures Act and the arrival of Canadian troops in Quebec. Regardless, all four members of the Chenier cell would eventually be found, arrested, and found guilty of the murder of Pierre Laporte. The Liberation Cell members, however, held Cross hostage for a total of 62 days, and eventually released him after negotiating a guarantee of safe passage to Cuba. Fidel Castro, the then leader of Cuba, had agreed, and the FLQ members, five in total, plus one of their wives, were flown to Cuba to live out their days in exile. On the 23rd of December, Trudeau announced all soldiers stationed in Quebec would be withdrawn within a couple of weeks, and by 6th of January 1971, the soldiers were gone. Quebec returned to an atmosphere of peace. 
Now, while those who murdered Laporte were found and arrested and found guilty, and the kidnappers of James Cross were sent to exile in Cuba, what really became controversial, however, was Trudeau's decision to invoke the War Measures Act in the first place. While the vast majority of English Canadians supported it, there was a significant percentage of the French-Canadian population that thought it was too heavy-handed. For instance, the future premier and leader of the Parti Québécois, René Lévesque, called it a panicky and altogether excessive reaction. Tommy Douglas and his fellow members of the NDP felt Trudeau was much too aggressive in using the War Measures Act. The vast majority of Québécois denounced the violent actions of the FLQ. This should be made very clear. And in fact, even the most radical of separatists were shocked by the actions of the two FLQ cells. Interestingly, the events themselves actually pushed many people into the camp of those who wanted to achieve separation by peaceful and constitutional methods, as opposed to more violent alternatives. Now, some have even argued that Trudeau's heavy-handedness actually pushed many middle-road Quebecois into the sovereignty camp. Simply put, the symbolic power of federal military boots on Quebec's streets was a major boost for the young separatist party known as the Parti Québécois. Certainly this can be debated, but it cannot be denied that the Parti Québécois would go on to win the provincial election in 1976, only eight years after its formation. Though Trudeau was able to stop the most serious domestic terrorist threat this country had ever seen to that point, one must also consider how his aggressive reaction played out amongst the Quebecois, who were still unsure of their future, either as a separate country or a strong province within the nation of Canada. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.